we've got a lot to talk about, about what's going on. But we're going to start off by going to Washington, D.C., because Congressman Hill is here from D.C. And, Congressman, let's let's start off with uh, the two biggest stories. Uh, flip a coin. You tell me you want to start off international or you want to start off uh, with uh, home, home, home turf. Well, good morning, Dave. Morning, Jimmy. I think we ought to start with uh, the Speaker of the House. I agree. We, we can't get to anything else if we don't have a Speaker. Thank you very much. Uh, so Jordan lost yesterday. Was that, that was a caucus vote, was it not? Well, that was on the House floor. Oh, it was on the House floor. Okay. So this is, this is what I've been trying to preach, you know, for three weeks now, that if we're, we, we, we made a mistake by throwing McCarthy out. Mm-hmm. That was a mistake for conservatives and a mistake for, in my opinion, good government and cohesion. And when you did that, then we have to find a new leader. And I've argued that we should be doing that in the privacy of the conference meeting, get, get, uh, get to a consistent point there. And that way we go, <laughs> we go to the floor and we're not uh, embarrassed like we were yesterday where 20 members voted against uh, Jim Jordan. And those were, uh, I think, from what I've heard from my colleagues, about half of those were surprises to Jim Jordan, which means he had not done his own not done his own work, had not uh, locked down his vote, and uh, so I think that's a mistake. Um, and so uh, that has a is just more unfortunate dysfunction, I think, here in the House conference. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. And uh, from what I understand, see, Scalise, I liked what he did. Hey, if I don't have the votes, I'm not going to go out there and, and try to play deal maker. I'm just out. Now, now Jordan's going to do what McCarthy did, it sounds like to me. He's going to go and talk to people and say, what is it going to take to get your vote? Well, he's done that now for uh, since um, yesterday at at one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon, I think today he's going to try to come back and uh, he canceled the conference meeting for this morning. So I think he's going to try to go straight to the floor. I think he's going to perhaps have uh, Majority Leader Scalise nominate him to try to bring bridge some gap there. I don't know if that'll happen or not. And again, this is um, not being done in the privacy of the conference meeting. Members don't take. Uh, it very well when you go public and you try to intimidate them on the House floor like you can sort of foot wedge your way into a birdie on the 18th hole. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean it's serious. I mean, they just don't these, – these are all 435 independent thinkers, 221 independent thinker Republicans who represent 750,000 Americans, and they just don't think – they're uh they can be treated that way so that's why i i don't think this will be successful today i hope it is because we need a speaker and that's we need to get on with our work okay so now if they have another vote and uh he doesn't have the votes do you think he pulls his name or do you think he'll continue to push forward no i think he'll i i think depending on how close that vote is Excuse me. Depending on how close that vote is, I, I think he'll uh, pull his name from from nomination. Um, Kevin McCarthy had 96 percent of the vote in the conference, and he didn't make it. Uh, Steve Scalise got basically right at 50 percent, uh, and he pulled his name. Jim Jordan was nominated in our 
balloting process in the in the conference last week, he got about sixty eight percent of the vote, which was you know decent. Uh, and so you know, as I've said all along, anyone in the conference who's nominated by the conference who can get to the floor, I'm going to support them because that's what the House rules are, and that's what the Republican Party should be doing. But no one has been really following those rules, and we've just gotten this thing off track principally because of those eight Republicans that have thwarted Republican leadership all year long. Yeah, I talked about this yesterday, and Simone and I discussed it, and I kept trying to tell everybody, this is the the other side of the coin. You know, the eight did what they did, and now these others are doing what they're doing, and they're doing just exactly the same thing uh, that the eight that are – quote the the super i don't know super patriots or something well they're super populists who hate kevin mccarthy i can't say they're patriots but i won't say they're not i'm just going to say their reasons were mostly personal because mccarthy was doing exactly what he committed to do when he ran for speaker open up the house have open house rules open uh a, a debate on the floor amendments on the floor regular order pass all the appropriations bills he was doing every single one of those things and those were the reasons allegedly the eight said they were against mccarthy but i don't i don't buy it but you're right this is the other side of the coin some of the no votes yesterday were in very very swing districts they're the people who give us conservative leadership in the house because they won in biden districts repeat these are republicans that won in biden districts If we don't have Republicans that can win in Biden districts, then we don't get to govern. We don't get to control the House of Representatives. We don't get to have a national conservative voice to counter uh, the Biden administration. It's just that simple. And it's just that simple. And I think people uh, ignore those folks. And you know, (laughs) uh, I think you ignore them at your peril. And I think those eight, the eight populist folks led by Matt Gates, I think they daily, on a regular basis, ignore those Republican candidates that win in Biden districts. Well, you're exactly right. That's the flip of the coin. Uh, and that was a big group of the of the no votes yesterday. Yeah, I, I agree. Jimmy? Yeah, Congressman, you had said that uh, uh, Congressman Jordan didn't do his homework, so to speak, in making sure he had the votes before he came to the floor. But we saw that in January with McCarthy as well, uh, where it took 15 votes. So I'm trying to figure out where do you think the disconnect is? Because obviously McCarthy in January thought he had it nailed down when it came to the floor. Yeah, and and Jordan thought he had it nailed down uh, when he brought it yesterday. So where is the breakdown? Where is the disconnect? I'll I'll, I'll give you the play-by-play there. Well, for McCarthy, he got nominated, uh, and uh, conference call after conference call got agreement to move forward. He made all the uh, all the proposals and changes to the rules that people asked for. And so, since it had never happened in a hundred years, he thought that sure, we're going to go to the House floor. There might be one or two people that are no, but you know, I'm going to be elected Speaker because it's happened that way for a hundred years, and I've done everything, and our our conference is united around all the things that we've done. So that's why I say it's different. Uh, in the case of Jim Jordan, he knows better. He knows now that's not how anybody's operating, and he knows that he has to have an absolute perfect whip count uh, for every single member, and that he's not going to quote get them to change their vote on the House floor just by calling a vote. 
that's dead now for the time being. I mean, I'm sure the House will will go back to normal and go back to resorting to the mean. But in the meantime, that's Jordan should have known better. He took a risk. He knew he didn't have 100 percent of the votes. And he went anyway, thinking he could, as I say, put wedge him into a par on the uh, 18th hole by just, I don't know, I don't want to say intimidating people, but just staring at them and tell them to change their votes. I do like the foot wedge analogy on the 18th hole, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, but we've gone from from 8 to 20 on this deal with Jordan. And why do you see that numbers growing? Is this a deal where people are actually trying to make deals, say, hey, what are you going to give me to get the vote? Uh, I actually don't think so uh, because uh, Jordan's not in a position of <coughs> leadership, <coughs> and pretty much we're in the middle of a Congress. That becomes a lot more relevant at the beginning of a Congress when you traditionally elect a speaker. You have all new committee chairs. You have all new committee assignments. You have all new appointments. And, you know, you don't have that in the middle of a Congress. So I think this is more concerns about Jim's past actions on when he's run candidates against other Republicans and paid for that or when he has uh, – uh, voted, you know, the wrong way on important Republican bills in the past that were supported by some of the people that are opposing him now. So this is a lot more about his, uh, I think, past actions in Congress than it is about something he's, he's trying to uh, change for benefiting somebody. All right, before we go to break, so where, where do we stand? Uh, are, we, are we at loggerheads still? Well, the uh, current plan, he has asked for a vote on the House floor at 11 a.m. today. Okay. And so we'll see if that holds. But that's the, that's his current plan. He's asked people to come back to the House floor and vote again. All right. It is Wednesday. It's hump day. It's 21 after 7. And we're talking to uh, Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Congressman, let's uh, turn our attention towards Israel Is it not, I'm going to just say disgusting, it's disgusting to me that yesterday a rocket struck a hospital and the media immediately said it was from the Israelis. And uh, the Israelis didn't say anything and then came back two hours later, showed video and showed that the rocket had been launched by Islamic Jihad. And now all those news organizations are sitting there having to retract their story. Uh, it's sad that everybody, it seems to me, within the media tends to lean towards Hamas. Yeah, they do. You see uh, that mistaken view on college campuses. You see it in the media. And uh, they also don't even know the geopolitics of the region because they keep referring to Hamas is like the Palestinian authority or having something to do with governing, uh, you know, Palestine. That's just not the facts. Hamas is a terror group. They have a military arm. They have a political arm. They broke up with Mahmoud Abbas and the Fatah party in the West Bank who were trying to govern all the Palestinian people in the in 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 the bounds of, of Israel and in 2007 they just were so disruptive and so terror oriented they just gave them basically the West Bank and Israel pulled out and 
the I'd say the Palestinian Authority leadership, Mahmoud Abbas and the Fatah Party, have nothing to do with Hamas. It's just literally a strip of land, 25 miles long, two to three to seven miles wide, that's governed by a terror cell, and that's the bottom line. Three million people under the thumb of a terror organization called Hamas. So, unemployment, lack of opportunity, misery is at the hands of Hamas. And yes, it is. Launched, they've all they've now launched the murderous, savage attack of Israel, the worst in 50 years, and there's no moral equivocation here at all. Period. That yeah. doesn't mean we don't care about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, but let's be clear how it got there. You know. Well, sending humanitarian aid into Gaza right now is sending humanitarian aid to Hamas. They take that aid. They don't let the people have it. They take it, put it in the tunnels, and use it to strengthen their warriors. Exactly, and that's why this is a crisis because of of, uh, trying to get those people out of the north of Gaza, out of harm's way, out of safety. That's where the humanitarian situation is. I was uh, in a video saw a video yesterday of the uh, Roman Catholics and Greek Orthodox uh, church goers that are in Gaza. There are about a thousand of them trapped basically in two churches in North Gaza. And so, you know, there is definitely humanitarian needs in the region, but your point is right. You know, not per se this week, but over the years when people have shipped aid into Gaza, it is absconded with by Hamas, just as you described. And, that's the same for the money they get from Qatar, the country of Qatar or Iran. They use it purely to uh, punish their own people, impoverish their own people, enrich themselves, and attack Israel. How, you know, I kind of understand that the president is in a tough spot, but I, I believe that he's made his own bed and now he's sleeping in it. But the bottom line is this you know, how do we keep Iran? from uh, really muddying this up and it becoming a full region conflict? Well, by using diplomacy and using uh, our military assets, uh, by moving the Ford uh, carrier group to the MED as well as to the Eisenhower, uh, that's sending a signal that if they try to expand this war on Israel's northern border uh, from either Syria, which is controlled by Iran, or Lebanon, which is controlled by uh, the Iranian-backed group Hezbollah that gets hundreds of millions of dollars per year from Iran, that the United States is willing to help defend Israel. That's 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 job one. Secondly, talking to uh, the Jordanians, the uh, Saudi Arabians, the Egyptians, uh, and the Qataris that you know, we don't want to see this expand, and we need their diplomacy to make sure that doesn't happen as well. Okay, Jim. The, and, and you made the point that I think the media is uh, just tries to paint a false narrative that the Palestinian people, for the most part, are actually as big of victims to Hamas as, as Israel. The trick is, and maybe you can allude to this, the trick is how can you fight this war against these people without innocent lives on both sides being killed. It just cannot happen. Well, certainly not in the circumstances in Gaza. And that's, of course, a tragedy. You're talking about the density in Gaza is greater than the density of London. 
I can't remember what it is. I think it's something like 5,000 people per square mile. I mean, it is an incredibly dense, packed area, 3 million people or so in this 25-mile strip by 2 to 3 miles to 7 miles wide. And so you have a huge risk there of innocents being killed by either Islamic Jihad and Hamas uh, because they they use public buildings and schools and uh, things of that nature as shelters for their activities. Yep. And this is what, again, people, you know, rational people in the West, they just don't understand that. They don't accept that. But well, it's reality. It's reality. Yeah. And so between rocketed and we, we've, we've tried to help the Israelis with precision-guided uh, weaponry so that they reduce the risk. And, of course, they've asked for an evacuation of citizens of Gaza. Yeah, so, but no but no Arab nation is letting them get out. That's the key. Well, right. in, well in, I think in I the, uh, the topic of uh, I hope that's the topic of Biden's visit today with President El Sisi of Egypt. <clears throat> I know the risk they feel. They feel like they're going to let a bunch of uh, Muslim Brotherhood back terrorists into right. Egypt. And you have to understand that the Muslim Brotherhood is the number one enemy. You know of of. Uh, I would say an Arab Arab state like Egypt. They and so that's a risk that they've got to cope with. The I, I think the point needs to be made that the the Israelis can drop leaflets and get communications to the Palestinians to get out of that area as quickly as they can. But if Hamas doesn't let them out, right. that's a factor, right? Sure. I mean, uh, there's very limited border crossings, and uh, and so that's why. Also, I think they could use uh, sea seagoing abilities to do that too uh, because of it obviously being right on the Mediterranean that you don't have to go out of the country by land you could maybe do some sort of a, an ocean-borne evacuation of people but it, this is a horrible situation and it's all at the hands of Iranian-backed terrorists led by Hamas period full stop you know? right. and uh, and we've got to find a solution and, and I hope uh, President Biden could be one of the leaders that does that. Yeah, to bring what you're saying into a sharper focus for you, uh, Congressman, in that small area that's called Gaza, they almost have as many people as Arkansas has a state. Right. Yeah. That should bring it bring it really yeah. up into it's crystal a, clarity it, it, at that point. So at, uh, with him, uh, differently, I'm going to flip the topics. We started off with Congressman Hill talking about the speaker's race and then moving into Israel. Let's talk with Israel first uh, with Congressman Westerman. Congressman Westerman, the question I just asked Congressman Hill was this. Does it not, well, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, doesn't really surprise me, but all the media ran to Hamas yesterday when that, that hospital got hit and Hamas immediately said, see, the Israelis, uh, you know, wantonly targeting civilians, and uh, Tlaib did that as well, and it came out less than a, an hour and a half later. Uh, we got video that the missile was launched from Gaza or uh, and, in, and into, take that back, it was launched over uh, in uh, kind of the Hezbollah area, and it landed on top of that hospital, and it was Islamic Jihad. They've got egg on their face, but they don't admit that they have egg on their face. Yeah, well, good, good morning, Dave. Good to be with you. And that's just uh, that's the world we live in today in the media, uh, the mainstream media that rushes to make 
um, the terrorists the victim and make the real victims uh, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's atrocious. It's it's like they forgot what happened that started all of this. It was Hamas, you know, coming out of their uh, their. I hate to call it a cesspool, but their cesspool of Gaza going into Israel and killing innocent people. Yep, that's what what caused this. And for the media to uh, just automatically jump to the conclusion and put it out there that Israel bombed a hospital is it's atrocious. It's it's really unforgivable that they would do something like that. Well, they should be ashamed and and apologize for it. Well, I agree, and but. Because they already are out with it. That's the narrative that we've got this morning. That it was the yeah, Israelis that did it. Well, I, I haven't watched any uh, any news shows this morning, but uh, I have read some French stories <laughs> Good. That, that weren't saying that it was the, the Israelis. <clears throat> they were saying that it, uh, it was reported wrong. Yep. And, uh, you know, the evidence is there. Not only do they have... Uh, you know, they have drones that have footage. Plus, they have the uh, surveillance cameras, and it's it's really just uh, a sad, but probably a perfect commentary on how the mainstream media uh, wants to rush to uh, uh, to vic- victimize the terrorists and to make Israel the bad guys in this. And it's look at what happened at a lot of college campuses around this country yep. where you had. Uh, pro-Palestinian uh, rallies, and what people I don't think realize is these aren't. This isn't the Palestinian government. This isn't the majority of the Palestinian people. This is a terrorist organization. It's a a bunch of thugs and terrorists that overtook Gaza, and what was at one time part of Palestine, but they broke away from the official Palestinian government. And these are these are rogue terrorists. The, the media and I think a lot of uneducated people are saying are, are the Palestinian uh, authorities and Palestinian government. This isn't uh, Fakwa, I think is what they call them. Uh, it's Hamas is a terrorist organization that their only purpose is to uh, kill Israelis and to cause disruption and terror around the world. Yeah. They're, and they're closely tied to Iran. Well, yeah. You've got another another group called Hezbollah that's up in the northern right. part. You know, Gaza is just a little tiny strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea there in the, the southwest part of, of Israel. Congressman, I, th- I think the point needs to be made that you're exactly right. Hamas, you know, they want they want death to Israel. They want Israel gone, wiped off the mat, every it's in their Israeli charter. Death. It's in their charter. Yeah, and it, but I think the point has to be made to accomplish that they're willing to kill palestinians mm-hmm. and i was talking to congressman hill a few minutes ago and the 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 problem is is hamas started this and the israelis can drop leaflets and send communications and text messages to every palestinian they can and the gaza strip in that area and say get out get out but if hamas doesn't let them out that's where the that's where the problem comes in so what is your take on that? How is there? Is, are we just in a catch twenty two? There's no way to to avoid civilian uh, civilian death in this and innocent death in this on both sides. Well, there, there's several things that unfold there, Jimmy. Number one, when Hamas planned this attack on Israel, 
they knew full well there was going to be military retaliation and there was going to be innocent people killed. They made the decision to do that. Um, you're right. They're not letting people leave uh, uh, Gaza. To and, and there's also an issue of people wanting to take the folks from Gaza because you can bet if people are leaving Gaza, there's going to be some of their uh, Hamas militants and terrorists in that group uh, that, are, that are going to be leaving. It's a horrible, horrible situation, and it all falls squarely at the feet of Hamas and the, these terrorists that run that organization. And, they, and like you said, they are willing to sacrifice Palestinian lives to push their evil uh, motives. Well, you got, I don't blame Egypt. Egypt doesn't want the Egyptian Brotherhood back in Egypt again. Their whole idea is to overthrow Egypt, and a lot of them are right there in Gaza. And Jordan doesn't want Hamas back because they had to put down a civil war on Hamas about 40 years ago. So they don't want to do that again. Bottom line, they're not going to let them out. Right. And and Hamas knows that you know the media around the world will show the images and the pictures of mm-hmm. of neighborhoods and buildings being bombed by Israel <clears throat> and they're trying to create that uh, uh, sympathy and and you know unite the the Muslim world to come together to fight Israel. You know there's there's something like 2 billion uh, Muslims in the world, and there's like 14 million Jews in the world. Uh, and their strategy is to draw others into this and to make it a uh, you know, an all-out assault on Israel. So right. it's a, it, it, and there's some blame here in this country to go around, too, because of playing footsie with Iran, what the Biden administration yep. has been doing. And, uh, you know, the way... I think the, the best way to be able to solve this is diplomatically and with pressure on Iran to stop what's going on there. But I don't think Iran's going to do that with this administration. And I also think we have to stand strong and not allow Hezbollah or Iran or, or others to get involved in what's going on there in Israel. It has to be isolated between Hamas and Israel, and at, at the least let it be known that these other countries uh, uh, best not get involved in it. Yeah, one last question about this whole situation from me, Congressman, and that is the president has sent over two carrier task force now to show strength. But showing strength is one thing. Letting the other side know that you'll use that strength if it becomes necessary is another and uh, does Biden have the intestinal fortitude to use that strength if if push comes to shove? And after watching Afghanistan and watching some of the other things that have gone on, I don't think Iran is convinced that he'd use that force. Well, and you, you went right where I was thinking. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. Look at the precedent that that set, the total debacle of that withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, You've got Putin in Ukraine now, and I wouldn't be surprised Putin's not 
somehow involved with what's going on there in, in Israel as well. You've got Iran, who I believe you're correct, that thinks they will call Biden's bluff. Uh, it's a it's a very serious situation, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope at least he's got some military advisors that uh, uh, can be persuasive on what's the right thing to do. And also diplomatically, you don't want to uh, forego that route, but you've you've got to have that military muscle to back up your your diplomatic negotiations. And I don't think Biden has the the fear or the credibility of some of these folks that he's dealing with. Yeah. And you saw, I don't I don't know why, but I did see on the news that uh, Jordan and Egypt, I believe both, or at least Jordan, King uh, Hussein canceled the meeting with with Biden. Uh, which that doesn't look good. I, I I agree. And when you've got Secretary of State Blinken, who makes statements like when somebody asks him, "Well, what are you going to do if Iran uses that those frozen assets from the, if the Qataris give them some of it, and they use it for other things?" And he says, "We'll tell them to stop." What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What a joke. Yeah, right. that is. That's a joke. I'm, I'm sorry. That's that's just a joke. we got about eight minutes until uh, 8 o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Jimmy Cavins in the studio as well. Jimmy, you had a question for the Congress. Yeah, changing gears, going back to the speaker race. Uh, when we talked to Congressman Hill, I got his take, and I want to get yours. Uh, we saw last January where – when it came to the floor for uh, the vote on McCarthy, what everybody thought was going to be, hey, here we go, turned into, what, 15, 15 votes. votes. So we've seen that mistake before, and then here we go with with Jordan. When you guys went into caucus and everything, uh, we had talked last week about, hey, the idea would be not to come to the floor unless you've got the votes and it's locked That's down, right. and then, boom, we're back at it. Where did where is that falling short? Where's the disconnect between what gets said in the in the in the caucus and the votes in there to when we get to the floor? Well, it's a real mess, Jimmy, <laughs> and uh, to say the least. It, one of the issues is is still the most popular speaker, the person that's got the most support by far, and the person who has the most. Uh, passionate support is Kevin McCarthy, by far. Um, I like Steve Scalise. I like Jim Jordan. They could both do the speaker job. Um, But people are still really ticked off about what happened to Kevin McCarthy. And nobody's presented a plan that's better than what McCarthy was doing. Nobody has been able to uh, lead the conference or motivate the conference like Kevin McCarthy did. Uh, and there's there's still a lot of bitter feelings from that. Then there was bitter feelings that were um, caused when what happened to Steve Scalise, where people felt like he was undercut by the same people that um, took McCarthy out. So it, just to get Jim Jordan up for a vote. And then you saw yesterday Jim only got 20 votes. The problem is that and I've said this all along, we need a a plan more than a person right now, and we need a we need the blueprint more than we need the builder right now. And until we come to grips with how we're going to govern, 
and what that plan is going to look like, I, I'm not sure anybody can get 217 votes. But what you're hearing talked about now is giving uh, Patrick McHenry, who's the Speaker Pro Tem, the uh, the authority or the power through a resolution we would pass on the floor to bring legislation up. Now, this wouldn't be, he wouldn't be the elected Speaker of the House, so he wouldn't have successional authority. You know, if something happened to the President or the Vice President, my understanding is he would be skipped over because he hadn't been elected as Speaker of the House. But he would at right. least be able to start doing the business of the House and getting bills back on the floor. Um, while we give the conference time to, uh, you know, air the grievances and get past where we are now, and I think put a plan in place uh, which would allow us to get a speaker back in place and, and move forward. And with things that are happening in the world today, uh, we need to be able to conduct the business of the House. You know, we haven't. We've got a resolution that's got, I think, over 400 signatures on it to condemn Hamas that we can't even put up and take a vote on it. And that'll be interesting to see uh, how many people actually vote against that once we can take a vote on it. Congressman, uh, we've got... No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, uh, you you talked about it last week. We need more than a speaker right now. We need a plan. And you're alluding to it this week. In your eyes, what is that plan? Well, you've got to have a, a practical, pragmatic plan to actually govern. And the big issue right now is the funding. The uh, government funding expires on November 17th. What are we going to do next? I've actually written up a, a plan. It's a one-page document that I've shared with a lot of people. And this isn't what I would have proposed starting in January of last year. But from where we are right now, looking to the future, uh, I think we've only got one realistic option, and that is to um, pass a continuing resolution until April 15th of next year, which would get us past the first of the year, which would cause the automatic budget cuts of 1% from the debt limit deal to kick in. So every agency would get cut by 1% across the board, as was passed in the debt limit deal. That would still give us time, and I would say we need to do two appropriation bills per week till we get all 12 of them done. And then we need to uh, negotiate with the Senate because nobody really likes the idea of the 1% across-the-board cut because it cuts, cuts the military 1% instead of plussing it up like we could do with an appropriation bill and cutting in other places. So at least you'd have the opportunity to negotiate. Uh, and to get the <clears throat> appropriation bills passed and would also avoid an omnibus. Um, and then we've got to start looking to next year, and we need to have a budget passed by April 15th, like the Budget Control Act says, and we need to have the appropriation bills for next year passed by June 30th, like the Budget Control Act says. But we need to pass a rule in the House that says you can't put another bill on the floor after June 30th if the appropriation bills aren't passed. That's how we get leverage with the White House and the Senate by passing those appropriation bills, which is exactly what Kevin McCarthy was trying to do but was being blocked by other people. Now, that's the that's kind of the nuts and bolts of how we legislate going forward. Uh, and we once you get the government shutdown off the table, you start talking about the things that really matter to people, the uh, uh, 
inflation, national security, uh, the border, you know, all those issues that I think we were winning on that have been uh, stuffed up under the bed somewhere right now, and the Democrats are, are happy about that. All right. The other thing is we sure. one more one quick thing. Sure. The, the speaker has to push more power out to the committees, and the speaker can't be negotiating with small groups and cliques uh, because that gives them power. And we make the House stronger by making the speaker's office weaker. That's the that's the plan that I think can move us forward. Oh. It's just like school choice. I've been yelling about school choice since 2000. Now we got school choice in Arkansas. It's great. People started really thinking about it. Almost. Yeah, well, got, almost. Yeah, still got a couple counties. Yeah, and let's talk about that. We we got Mr. Uh, we got uh, Representative Cozart in, and he is the man who is doing the hard work. He's trying to figure out how do we pay for all of this. Is that not right? That's correct. So, what have you come up with? What what are what are some of the things that you think might have to change? Well, the funding formula for the schools is the main thing. That's an old funding formula that was put in place in '06. Been there for a long time. Shane Move Broadway. towards your mic a little bit. There. Okay. Shane Broadway was, uh, I think, speaker or in the Senate at that time. That is a long time ago. That was a long You're time an old ago. man, <laughs> Shane. Yeah, so well, he, you know. when he worked on it. So it hasn't been a whole lot of changes other than supplementals and things that's been pulled out of the matrix to fund it properly. So we're trying to uh, rebuild that matrix and rebuild a total funding program that will fund each child as the need that they are. How, how do you do that? I mean – if you look at a student in Little Rock, I think I heard it's like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars per student. Is that correct? Could be with federal money, yes. Yeah, money, actually, yes. actually, when I studied it, it with the with the federal monies and on IEPs and, and things like that, you're getting up there a little over twenty grand. You can. Okay, yes. so that's yeah. a that's a lot of money. Yes, yes, I mean, that's a lot of money. Now, a lot of that, as he said, is is a lot of federal money as well so a lot of, there's a lot of federal money in all of the budgets for the schools now they have to apply for that or get that but you know our yeah budget, what's your we, we roe our budget yeah, yeah and then they they also most or of roi pardon me yeah, yeah. as so. far as that so what what's the the legislature going to have to do well we're going to have to run a some new laws a new law or new legislation to uh, be able to do this and this this is based on a tennessee plan that they just put in place uh, and and then we took it last year and adapted it to an arkansas plan as much as we could in the short time that we had learns bill took up most all the time for getting bills drafted last year so i had a short period of time to do this so i'm going to rework that bill in this session because it failed in the senate uh, and it was a working bill to work for two years to try to get everything arranged so now i'm gonna have to do a new bill in 24 and work it for two years, so it just kind of put us behind uh, schedule. But I'm going to be working on it all of this time of 23 and in 24, and of course the 25 is when we would run a new one. Uh, so I'm going to try to have one to run and then be able to put it in place. So how are you finding your your compatriots? How are how are they seeing it? Well, originally I had the house pretty well uh, on my side. The Senate was a little iffy; they always are. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little iffy. We didn't get the Senate's vote. Uh, had some, but not enough. So I'm working those over. So after they've heard about everything across the nation that are having to change their funding because funding's not working, and then Tennessee has done this, and then we've had national organizations come down and tell us that Arkansas's funding formula is terrible. 
we've got to fix things. So we had those the day that you called me the next day was the day that they had explained some of that, and then I had explained this bill. So this bill does things a lot different by funding. Instead of putting a big money in a pot, you know, for X amount this and X amount that, for for um, uh, for teachers, for secretaries, for all the other things, and then do a student enrollment uh, numbers. Uh, say you've got 4,000 kids, then you're going to get $7,800 per kid. Right. Um, so that's, that's going to be a little different. They're going to fund them with a base amount and then basically with uh, all the other things to be determined. So, you know, kids with a disadvantage or a, uh, whether it's poverty or um, mental, physical disabilities, uh, where they live in a small district, where they live in a, a very sparse small district, which could be very small, all of those things will be weights that will be added, and there'll be an amount added to each child. That will be figured on each child, not a broad uh, description such as we had on the poverty on the uh, national school lunch or NSLA uh, money. This will be on each child will be figured. So, is that is that similar to the concept of the Arkansas Better Chance program? And the student meets the criteria. The stu- if the student meets the criteria, the district could get those funds for that student. I believe you're correct, but this will be a lot bigger and a lot broader. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right, Greg. How does that work for our economy here in the state of Arkansas? Let's let's get to where the rubber hits the road. I mean, school choice, I think, is going to be a, a great benefit to the state of Arkansas. However, the devil's in the details. What are some things that you would? You and Cozart have been talking out in the hallway. I'm sure that you, you know, that, that's not a meeting, Jimmy. Okay, I'm just. No, no. no. Well, they don't fall under four years. I don't think we had time to get that deep, that deep into it. So anyway, I mean, the state the state has run uh, th- so three straight years of uh, revenues uh, surpluses, right, in excess of a billion dollars. And if you look at the uh, the, the long term at, at state revenues, you'll see that. In years when the state, when the economy is expanding, the state runs surpluses. There have only been a few years where we were in an expansion and we didn't have a surplus. And those surpluses are so huge now; they're being some of some of the <clears throat> revenues being returned to the state, uh, to the taxpayers, with uh, tax cuts. So, if if you're asking for my assessment of wh- where we are with the economy right now, yeah, we, we're. I've argued we're in an expansion, but it does not feel like an expansion because of inflation. Right. Yeah, because the, of Biden. Bidenomics are holding us down. Well, I, I would point out, too, that it's the Federal Reserve's job to maintain the, uh, the stable currency unit, not have deflation or inflation, and, and uh, they've made some mistakes. They're, they're trying to play catch-up now, but they, have, uh, they did not take the punch bowl away, so to speak. You know, it was uh, who? William McChesney Martin was the chair of the Fed. For uh, decades, and he once explained monetary policy as taking away the punch bowl before the party gets out of control. And I'm afraid they didn't do that, and now here we are. And I agree. I agree with you. You know, I I wake up every morning thinking Carter is president. (laughs) I'm old enough to remember, Dave. I lived through that. I'm just just saying. Doubling of the price level in a decade. Imagine that. Yep. I lived through it. I can tell you, it was not. I remember. House mortgages at nineteen percent. Yeah, I want people to yeah. think about that a little bit. Nineteen yeah. percent. If you financed out of the state, in the state we couldn't do that, but yeah. out of the state it was. Yeah, Back it was in the old terrible. savings and loans days, right? You know, yeah, it was. That was ter- it was bad. It was really, really bad. 
and I, I like to be able to t- bring Greg in and talk about this stuff. I hadn't seen Greg in a long time. I, I thought he had moved on. See, Greg is originally from Michigan, and uh, he's like I am, man. We got well, this the is my first time to meet him, and I'm actually, get, <laughs> I'm actually glad because, I mean, he brings a lot of economic insight to this that, uh, that he can explain to people. And one thing from an economic standpoint I was going to ask as far as the Learns Act, and I'm, f- full disclosure, I'm the guy that said private schools will never get on board with this. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And I was 100% wrong. And I told you you were yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm still waiting to see Secretary Lever so I can look at him and say, hey, man, I was wrong, and, uh, but, which is a good thing, right? And, but from an economic standpoint, we had talked uh, with several legislators back when this came about. And from an economic standpoint, as far as entrepreneurship, with this opening up, as far as hopefully new schools opening, micro schools, and stuff like that, what kind of impact can that have on on the on some smaller communities in impoverished areas? You want me to answer that? Either one. I mean, <laughs> he's the economist. It, yeah, yeah that's, well, I was kind of <laughs> looking at Greg. So when, I mean. when, when you look when you look at where those schools are right now. The private school, the school choice market, I call it. So there's a school choice market that inc- that's about 110,000 students in the state of Arkansas. Those are the students in charter schools, private schools, home schools, and then a public school choice program. The, they tend to be concentrated where our public companies are. So Pulaski County, the two counties in uh, northwest Arkansas, Benton and Washington, that's where most of the competition is occurring. And we'll see over time there, there are communities, rural communities, where there are private schools. But much of the state, though, does not have those markets that I just described other than the home schools and maybe a little bit public school choice. Is those impoverished communities, that where maybe the micro schools or the tutoring aspect of, say, a, a entrepreneur, former teacher, whatever, starting a micro school that would have limited number of students that could survive in those in those small communities without those big uh, big companies around, it could be it could be as small as uh, 20, 25 mm-hmm. students. I know of private schools like I, that. I think yeah. eventually, and I've been be. saying this since I came into the legislature that we're going to eventually have virtual schools in those small areas where there's no uh, there's no school mm-hmm. and there's and it's too far to travel. There's eventually going to be set up uh, a school that kids could come to in in whatever area they have and have a uh, a facilitator that would be there and everything would be on that screen or on their laptop and somebody to watch over and make sure they're doing it because if you don't watch over them you've seen what happened during the, the pandemic a lot of them didn't do their work and do their stuff but right. i mean it's it's hard for a kid to ride a bus for two hours oh yeah and do anything so that's I, four I, hours I, a day so you know County, I'm, I'm excited. Did, that's what i did yeah. so <laughs> i don't know if that'll ever happen but i think it, it's a good opportunity now for it to happen yeah. uh a virtual uh school in a micro setting uh 20 kids 30 kids, whatever it takes in those areas, um, it would be good. So, you know, we want to, we want the kids to learn. We want them to, to be able to be taught in an environment that is friendly to them. And sometimes the hometown or the area they live in is the friendliest for them. You just said something that, that I really like, and I think people tend to get away with. You just said to comment, we want the kids to learn. And whatever facilitates that, it, we're, we're for. But you just said to keep, we, we want the kids to learn. We do. That goes back to what we talked about when the legislative, the General Assembly was starting to meet this year. And uh, I, I told you about the meeting that went down. 
and they were talking about education and they were saying well i don't know if the you know the superintendents are going to buy into this or these folks are going to buy into that and who i don't know who it was i just know it was someone from the administration held up their hands and said we're not talking about those folks. We're talking about the kids. Yeah. That is a different way of addressing this problem. Yeah. And and, and it's great. I I'm I'm but I'm happy about it. But threading the needle to for those kids to be properly educated goes back to money every time, right? Oh, it's Which all about is money. what you're, <laughs> yeah, you're trying right. to accomplish. Well, the yeah. superintendents and the school board associations are as scared as anybody about this this bill I'm trying to run. Mm-hmm. They're they're afraid that it's going to take money out of their pockets. Their and, pockets being the key. Well, being the school, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But but we want to put we want to put the money where the kids need it uh, for each need that they have. And there's a lot of needs. I mean, dyslexia. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, third grade reading to get on on levels. Things That's like right. that. I mean, there's a lot of places we need it. But but we can't just throw money in their in their big pot because it gets spent for anything else. You know. So. Well, so much of it. You're right. So much of it, and we've talked about this. I've done the studies on it, you know, and which is a frustration with taxpayers, is that I don't think taxpayers mind funding education as long as they're funding education. Mm-hmm. And so much of this money goes into special prospects or administration, administrative fees, which where public schools seem to be heavy in, in administration and, and not as much funding to go to the education. Well, and I think that it's hard to sell to the general public that 60% how your budget has to be directed towards education. That's six cents out of every dollar. That's correct. I think everybody's... Or, or 60 cents out of every dollar. Yeah. You and I have talked about it, Dave. Was we're, Hey, we're fine with investing in education. Yeah. The keyword is investing in education. But we want to see, ROI, we want to see ROI, yeah. right? I want to see kids' <laughs> results. Well, yeah. results. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Along with investing in education, we've got everybody on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> we're still not where we want to be. Uh, we're not uh, graduating kids like we should. No. Uh, we're not doing those things. But until we get the total investment through all the administrators, all the teachers, and we got great teachers. Don't get me wrong. We have great teachers. And uh, I had great teachers when I was in school. But we've got to get 100% out of them to get these kids where they need to be. All right, two ways to uh, you know take in the uh, Dave Ellswick Show, uh, 101.1 FM. The answer, of course, uh, I've been there for, you know, 10 years now. Now you also can see the stream. You go to uh, Facebook slash 1011 FM, the answer, or Facebook slash Dave Ellswick Show, and you can watch the show. If you want to see who is this Greg Kaza guy that Ellswick's had on from time to time over (laughs) how much? Almost the last 20 years. Uh, Who is he? Well, now you can see him. And he's a Yankee. But and he's a damn Yankee. Uh, right. You know what a damn Yankee is, right? Yeah, I, I told you that. That's yeah. a, a Yankee came south and stayed. Yeah, <laughs> you know. that's all right. Though. I'm one too. Yeah. I can. If I, you if you watch yeah. Facebook Live, what you're going to see is Greg, who's who's impressed me because he's rattling off numbers, boom, 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 without a cheat sheet in that, front of yeah, him. Hey, he's that way. So, I, mean, I got my cheat sheet. You got. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Greg. I've got I got to know Greg. Like I said back <laughs> when we we're trying to take care of the. The food tax back in the day, and uh, I still can't thank you enough for all the support that you gave us at that time. It was it was a coalition of individuals. It really was. Acts the, <clears throat> the food tax, uh, you uh, taking the message to the public, uh, Carl Kimball, 
Of course, God Steve Stevens. Steve Stevens was was crucial to the what's Steve doing? Idea idea being advanced. What's he up um, to now? I I can't speak for for, for Steve. Okay. Um, and I got to call him. I still got uh, a cell phone number for him. Governor Beebe, when he became governor, you remember he actually made it happen. Yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're a nonpartisan organization. Uh, when they debated the, the grocery tax on the floor of the state Senate, it was uh, Bobby Glover, Democrat, who actually read our research there on the floor. And, uh, of course, they did it using those excess revenues. And, and they, they virtually eliminated it. Yeah. Now, we got enough revenue. Yes. It's time that we finish it off and get rid of it, right? And the legislature's been reducing other rates. Yes. The income tax, corporate income tax, to make Arkansas more competitive. It's progressive in the direction that we want. Don't use that word. Hell, yeah, that that bad hurts your feelings when I use (laughs) that word. Progressive's a bad word. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bad word. I got it. There it is. You see it right down there. There's no bad word except taxes in the studio. But, it, but it's moving forward. It, I think what people have to realize is you, you just can't lower the boom. You just can't lower the, lower the axe, so to speak. But it's moving forward, and I, and I think we have to be pleased with that. Well, you know, Kansas scared the bejeebies out of a lot of people. That's yeah. a southern term, bejeebies. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what they are, but it scared them yeah. out of us. And uh, we didn't want to do what Kansas did and have to go back and reinstate taxes the yeah. way they had to do it. Oh, so, that would be, yeah. oh. And so it's, and, hey, as, a, a as, a, as an elected official, do you want to make that argument? No, I would be sitting home for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, saying. that might be okay, but, I mean, a lot of it would be sitting home. I, I honestly <laughs> believe part of that that happened on that, that whole way they handled taxes is why the Democrats got a foothold back in Kansas. Yeah. To be honest. Oh, I believe that 100%. That's, that's why I yeah. got to think the stuff through. Yeah. And that's why I want to have Cozart on to talk about what he's putting together. Are you, you're talking with senators and, and state legislatures. Are you talking with the governor? Are you talking with Oliva? I mean, is everybody involved in this? They, everybody was involved in the very start. To actually, the um, uh, education department helped me with getting this on board uh, last year, uh, I say last year during the uh, first session, and so we, yes, we have the governor has not really gotten on board with it. She, I think I don't think she has any problem with it, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that's my next step right. is to get her on board with this. I think this is something that we definitely have got to have. But uh, as far as the uh, the House and the Senate uh, members, they're getting on board. Uh, it was a little quick last year. Like I said, it came in at the very dead end of the session. Yes, it did. And uh, I just didn't have time to get everybody's support. I didn't get to work everybody. Uh, I didn't have – I mean, I, a lot of people go around when they're, they're running a bill and they get everybody to sign on with them. I didn't have time to do that. I didn't go around and be able to get everybody to sign on, and especially the Senate. Kim Hammer was my sponsor in the Senate, and he was so busy he didn't have time either. So, we, like I said, we were down to the wire and it just didn't happen, and that's okay. You know, it's not that it had to happen last year, but it's got to happen pretty quick. And, of course, to those who fought against the the food tax that we're finally getting rid of, we're very, very close. To those who want to go against the cutting of taxes, which the Republicans continue to do, it's one of the good things that was done by ASA, but uh, even pushed further now by the governor mm-hmm. and about yesterday's uh you know 
pressure that we had, and the governor said, if you're, you know, like a, an enemy of America, you shouldn't be doing business in Arkansas. I like that, and I, to them that say that that's been bad, we reply, you suck. So look, that's the bottom line. <laughs> that's the bottom line. <laughs> Good to have. I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled because Greg is here. This is like, you know, old friends day for us. It really, really is. We got some catching up to do. Well, he's but got he's got the you're facts. Gonna hear, you're yeah. going to hear from Greg more and more here yeah. on the show. Yeah, he's, he's got good the facts. And uh, uh, instead of rhetoric, you know, the, we we deal in facts around here, and he's got the numbers. He's got the stuff to back it up, and and uh, proofs in the pudding, right? Yeah. All right. So the yeah. governor had a presser yesterday. Here's what she had to say. I'm announcing that Syngenta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas. Syngenta owns 160 acres in northeast Arkansas, which it uses primarily for seed research. The company that owns Syngenta, Kim China, is also on the Department of Defense's list of Chinese military companies posing a clear threat to our state. Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers, especially since the Chinese government enacted a law in 2017 requiring Chinese citizens abroad to collaborate with their country's security officials on intelligence work with no questions asked. This isn't about where you're from. We welcome Chinese Americans, Russian Americans, and anyone else who's given up foreign oppression for American freedom. This is about where your loyalties lie. We simply cannot trust those who pledge allegiance to a hostile foreign power. That's why I signed Act 525, sponsored by Representative McKenzie and Senator Boyd, to ban Chinese and Russian-made drones. And it's why I signed Act 758, sponsored by Representative McElindon and Senator Stubblefield, banning public contracts with the CCP. We will make sure that every company operating in Arkansas is a friend to Arkansas and good to hardworking Arkansans. Secretary Ward has already notified Syngenta about this decision. If they refuse to sell, our Attorney General can move forward with legal proceedings and force them to get out of our state. Arkansas will always protect our farmers and our national security interests. That was the governor yesterday. I've been waiting for somebody to start doing this stuff. I've been, I've been like feeling like the boy that's yeah. crying, you know, to help out there. Well, I think people across the state have been waiting for this. Except know. for me, nobody showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, but it's again, it's it's a result of you know we, we we tend to complain about the legislature, okay, and we all do it. But then this is a result of good legislation. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. yeah, we've been talking about it for years, and nobody ever acted on it till this last year. Yeah. And we finally it just got fed up enough that we finally acted on it. Yeah, some different things passed. I I know that uh, when we started talking about this just recently again, and I started uh, beating the drum about it, uh, we had. Uh, Oh, who's the state rep that we had on from up in Jonesboro? Used to be in Jonesboro. We had him. We had him on. Can't think. It, just went blank. Yeah. But uh, he was. He ran. Up. He ran legislation about this, 
and was soundly attacked uh, in committee in the Senate side because there's a lot of people who like doing business even with people who are our enemies. I mean, it's something everybody's got to understand. And this is not new. I mean, no. A lot of people don't Greed, know. greed is not Friends, new. Let me tell you. Yeah. World War II. I'll give you a good yeah. example. Okay. Uh, it was uh, Atlantic Telephone and Telegraph, AT&T, was building a new sonar system for the United States Navy. Their corporate offices in Berlin were working on how to defeat yeah. that sonar that yeah. was going to be on American ships. Just saying. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's what you've got to keep your eye on. You've got to be watching about all of that. Greg, uh, wh- is there any kind of bad feedback that we can get out of this? Is this a win-win for us, or is this just a win and we're going to have to pay attention a little bit about what we're doing? I think it's too early to say. Uh, looking at it as an analyst, it's obviously a national security issue. It has been for some time during the Cold War you remember the terms of trade are are very important it's very detail oriented most people aren't aware of how this works but bad behavior by the soviet union and warsaw pact countries were not that that kind of behavior was not rewarded in the case of china i think our policymakers are still trying to figure out not only what constitutes bad behavior but how to go about responding to the obvious bad behavior that that has been going on yeah, I can only tell you what what I know and what I've done for it's a quarter century now. I've been writing articles about China for magazines, some obscure, uh, but pointing out about avionics, pointing out about the Chinese Communist Party's long-term strategy to see the dollar not be the international reserve currency. Uh, and also talking, explaining my last piece, explaining if you want to understand Chinese thinking, how you can read Chinese lang- uh, English language Chinese publications that give you some sort of uh, perspective into their worldview and what they're trying to do. Uh, I, I have watched this issue, and I think Senator Cotton has tries, tried to raise this issue, and I think what uh, – Governor Huckabee uh, Sanders did yesterday. She's also trying to raise the issue. It's it's a national uh, her national profile will uh, will increase because of this. This is an issue that very few Americans, very few American policymakers have figured out how to take any kind of action. Well, that's because we're, now they're actually talking about decoupling uh, from yes. China. I mean, when Kissinger and Nixon, you know, went through the the bamboo wall and went to China. At that time, I was more libertarian than I am now, and I had the feeling that if we went over there and showed the Chinese what capitalism could do for them, they would give up some of their their uh, uh, communist things that they wanted to do to become more capitalist, and I've been proven wrong on that now. I think everybody's been proven wrong on that now, and it's important that we understand that we've got to not do business with China the way we've done in the past. Everybody championed that. If you're as old as we are, you know, everybody kind of championed that and said, oh, this is a good thing. It was the only thing and, that I agreed with Nixon yeah, on. In hindsight, being 2020, <laughs> we, we gave China the best of both their worlds and let the fox in the hen house, so to speak. And uh, this is something that that trying to battle it is is not easy answers, is it, guys? No. 
Oh, you got so many businesses that uh, American own businesses that deal with China, and that's their products. They sell them here, so they're you know they're they're going to go broke if you take that away from them. So well, look how many of our pharmaceuticals yeah. Are, yeah. bi- are made. I don't in know China what's not now. made in China. Yeah, I, yeah. I had to get to looking, and I was shopping yesterday for clothing and everything made in China, made in China. So you know, it, it's it'll be a very big hit to our economy for items that you could buy. If you banned, I mean, it might take a while for that to happen, but it's it's going to be a big hit, and people are going to cry. You know, sometimes they like the bad when it's they think it's good for them. Well, I I suggest they start talking to India personally. That's yeah. what I think. The At gui- least they're a democracy. Yeah. The, the guillotine theory would actually be cutting our own head off at, yeah. at that point, and so it's got to be done, I think, smartly in. The frustration with people, though, is, hey, we want to do it now. Yep. And I get that. I get that. It's hard to do. But you don't want to cut your nose off it's to spite your own face, right? Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, all right. Well, Mr. Cozart, uh, you feel that things are going to go all right as far as your ideas about uh, getting the money for education here in the state of Arkansas. I mean, you're you're t- saying you've got to revamp in totally different. See, I don't have any problem talking to you like I didn't have any problem talking to Westerman when he was a, a House member here locally, mm-hmm. and he was saying, Dave, i got this great idea. Let's let the money follow the kids. I'll never forget him coming on my show in 2010 and talking about that. He had that idea, and it didn't, 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 it didn't get put through no we that remember that fought against yeah Tep- definitely fought against and the democrats know, it, it, was, it was a change and that was pretty well a big democrat bunch at that time so we did get fought against but uh, i think i think this is a great idea i've got a lot of things to work out in it and get it get the fine details done because i've got more time to do that now so but we have i have worked on the adequacy uh, funding issue for uh, 10 years uh, when I first got on education, I was invited in to help on that. After I became chair, I worked on it firsthand with a few other people, as many as I could get. Nobody really wanted to work on it, so we didn't have a lot of people that would work on it. Sometimes it would be four or five of us. So now I think I can get everybody on board. They know we need to do something. Even the superintendents and the school board people all know that we need to do something different. Even Thurman? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I had to shoot across the bow. I'm sorry, but it's. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a great um, new thing for our our schools. But mostly, it's for our kids. This is not about superintendents. It's not about schools themselves. It's not about me. It's never about us. It's about our kids. See that that's yeah. the most important thing. Again, the dialogue has shifted from talking about superintendents and unions and our school board and, 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 and talking about yeah. kids and that's where it, that's where the rubber hits the road when when you get this obviously you don't have the final product yet but when you do talk about what you're going to do to get it to the to the public to the citizens so they can see the benefits of this and and, and get their approval for it here's what our plan is our plan is to start as soon as we start putting this together have some town hall meetings Great. Uh, and actually put it out on the web for comments. Uh, as we get progress, we're going to try to. I've, I will start working. That's where I need the governor's help. I need her to give me staff to help with this. Um, the uh, VLR staff is our staff, and I've already. Ha- I think I have the permission from the two chairs to use our BLR staff. And uh, but I'm, I'm going to need some extra help from different people 
and that's where I need help. I, I want everybody involved. Yeah. I want as many people that, that want to help. I don't want people that are naysayers in there. This this will work. We've just got to get in there and put some time into it. Well, you don't mind naysayers as long as they'll listen to what you have to say and not fight against you just to be trying to throw a monkey, you know, a wrench into the works and screw everything up. All right, back with you. The person I was trying to think about that brought a piece of uh, legislature legislation to the legislature uh, a couple of years ago was Brant Smith. That's it. And yes. he and he's. I think he's still got the bruises uh, from that piece of legislation. He's running again. Yeah, he's running again. He's he's running against Ladyman. That's mm-hmm. uh, something for everybody to consider as well. All right, away from politics for a bit. By the way, I'll be over. Uh, covering on uh, October 6th, not October, November 6th, uh, the first day of signing for people to pay, put their money down and who's running where. I'll be there before before they start putting their money down. But they'll all be there early in the rotunda. I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee it, talk to each other. It's always fun to go to. I like I like doing it. But I'm going to be over there. There will be live and, and uh, talking about it. Greg, talk about you were telling us some things during the break that we need to tell the general public. Are you okay with that? Sure, Dave. Uh, some new work we're coming out with that shows that the uh, job creation rate in Arkansas since the tax cuts, the income tax cuts, uh, took effect in uh, early 2015 exceeds the uh, U.S. average. And Arkansas has moved from the bottom one-third tier of states into the top one-tier third of states, and that's based on our analysis of U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the monthly job creation data that um, that is on their site. Well, here's the key about Greg. He got the facts and the figures. He can show you without about uh, you. Yeah. It's like, you know, all the people saying, yeah, the Israelis bombed that hospital, and then they show the video, and it's like, yeah. oh, well, they didn't shoot the missile. Did they? Yeah, you know, my, de- my deal is always, hey, my, my motto is facts, not fiction, and, and that's what I dig about this is we're, getting, we're not getting fiction. We're getting the real numbers, yeah. and, and that's what matters. Well, Dave, the, the numbers can be mind-numbing. and Yeah, I, I agree. Our, our critics would say that we put out our research uh, with depressing regularity. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's that's what we do. Uh, we give it away to the public. It's available on our website, uh, www.arkansaspolicyfoundation.org. And um, we try to generate a, a debate. We debate this issue all the time with people that respectfully disagree with us. And if you think about the income tax, what are the arguments made against cutting the income tax? They tend to be uh, class warfare arguments. They tend to be arguments uh, about we, we need to use that money to, to fund other programs. Or more recently, they've been making the argument that uh, these revenue uh, surpluses, these huge revenue surpluses, over a billion dollars a year, are one-time events, when in fact uh, they're not. Well, they sure haven't been. No, they haven't been. I mean, we didn't get as much of a surplus built up over just one shot. There's a lot of money been pouring in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm of the inkling that if more money is pouring in than what you need, you're taxing too much. Is yeah. that is that yeah. is that a bad kind of uh, you know logical argument on my part? It's the only place it comes from. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and then we too much. Give it back. Yeah, well, they'll give it back. It it take 
That's when trickle down economics really kick in. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, Greg. All right. The bottom line is is that trickle down economics is a fact, and the Democrats refuse to admit it. They refuse. I mean, whenever they start their arguments, their arguments are, yeah, we've heard about this trickle down economics before, and I've got his picture on my door. You got a stand up of Reagan. Reagan, the greatest president other than George Washington, as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, he I, I want to give something back up to what Greg's saying, because we talked about this during one of the breaks. When you listen to his numbers in the theory of, of, of tax cuts and cutting these programs and everything, I use the example in North Little Rock, there's a housing project, um, Silver City Courts, who literally has four generations of families in it. All right, which is not supposed to be, but if you listen to what Greg is saying, when you apply the tax cuts and the job creations, that's what stops four generations of families from being in there. And so I think it's an important message that he's bringing. It can. We want a broad, prosperous middle class. That brings stability. It brings all kinds of stability. And we, we want people to be able to get up in the morning and think that they can change the world. They can be entrepreneurs. That's the kind of uh, business climate we want to create, isn't it? I think yeah. that I'm, you're preaching to the choir, brother. Mm-hmm. That, I'm just that, that kid in Silver City Courts today that's eight years old can be a business, small business owner mm-hmm. one day mm-hmm. if we give them the opportunity. Yeah, and it won't be on a street corner. Okay, right. I'm yeah. just saying. That yeah. Bottom line, uh, if we have an education process that teaches him well and we have a taxation process that doesn't take his money away from him or takes money out of his left pocket to to put in his right pocket uh, you know it well might be a good future and, for him. and representative don't the two go hand in hand it all what starts he's with education educa- yeah it all starts yeah. with education if you can get them educated they will want to come out of poverty they will want to do something they will want to be somebody you know that's what that's what needs to be instilled into those children that they can be somebody but they have to make a change yeah tax rates are tax rates are a factor of economic development but so is a skilled workforce and the skilled workforce flows directly from an educational system that's working okay for folks that want to read that you're all's uh uh, background and, and and white papers that's what they used to be called white papers uh what uh, where should they go on the internet greg uh thank you dave www.arkansaspolicyfoundation.org yeah you need to go there i mean i'm always talking heritage i'm always talking cato i'm always talking we have great workers here in the state. I mean, Acre, great workers here in the yeah. state as well. Yeah. I should get both of you guys on. Yeah. And I've done work with Acre, uh, and I know the folks at Acre, and we have other groups in the state too. I would say when, when I moved here, there were perhaps two of us. There was the Arkansas Family Council and the right. Policy Foundation, mm-hmm. but today I would say there are at least six, seven groups. That's fantastic. Keep up the good work. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, we move into the 9 o'clock hour. Yesterday, the governor of the state of Arkansas made news because she is doing something in Arkansas no other state is, has done. Do we have that queued up? We can play it one more time. Uh, Wes Ward is waiting to come on, Secretary of uh, Agriculture here for the state. Wes, I'm going to play the... The, the, the announcement that the governor made yesterday at that presser, here's what she had to say again. 
I'm announcing that Syngenta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas. Syngenta owns 160 acres in northeast Arkansas, which it uses primarily for seed research. The company that owns Syngenta, Kim China, is also on the Department of Defense's list of Chinese military companies posing a clear threat to our state. Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers, especially since the Chinese government enacted a law in 2017 requiring Chinese citizens abroad to collaborate with their country's security officials on intelligence work with no questions asked. This isn't about where you're from. We welcome Chinese Americans, Russian Americans, and anyone else who's given up foreign oppression for American freedom. This is about where your loyalties lie. We simply cannot trust those who pledge allegiance to a hostile foreign power. That's why I signed Act 525, sponsored by Representative McKenzie and Senator Boyd, to ban Chinese and Russian-made drones. And it's why I signed Act 758, sponsored by Representative McElindan and Senator Stubblefield, banning public contracts with the CCP. We will make sure that every company operating in Arkansas is a friend to Arkansas and good to hardworking Arkansans. Secretary Ward has already notified Syngenta about this decision. If they refuse to sell, our Attorney General can move forward with legal proceedings and force them to get out of our state. Arkansas will always protect our farmers and our national security interests. All right. That was the governor yesterday, the presser that she held. And uh, you heard him heard her just mention a moment ago, Secretary of Agriculture, State of Arkansas, Wes Ward. He is with us on the phone this morning. Good morning, uh, Mr. Secretary. How are you? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me join you today, especially after the, the big announcement from the governor yesterday. I just appreciate you letting us uh, come on and talk about it some more. Yeah, talk about why this is so important. I mean, this we are the first state to do this. Arkansas has been the first state on a lot of things over the last few years. It shows that a small state can have a big impact on the United States, correct? You're, yeah, you're you are absolutely correct, and so I I, I think uh, really across the country there there's been a growing concern about China and the and the Chinese Communist Party and uh, and their behavior and what they do, uh, and so here in Arkansas you're right Arkansas is really taking the lead under Governor Sanders' leadership. Uh, partly part of that's because of, of, of their bad bad behavior, but part of it too is because agriculture is our largest industry and it's so incredibly important. Uh, and the governor basically just said yesterday that like, we're not going to tolerate that in Arkansas. And so we've got uh, great partnerships with the attorney general and with our state legislature to make sure uh, that Arkansas is really going to going to be the lead in the nation on saying we're we're not that's not going to be acceptable here in Arkansas. And we hope the rest of the country can follow suit as well. Jimmy, you had a question. Yeah, yeah. Wes, I think this is. We talked about it in the earlier segment about this is such a great collaboration between the governor's office and the in the legislature to get this done, and it's it's a really good thing that the people of this state want and support. Are there any examples of loopholes though that uh, could could 
kind of messed this up in a sense. And are there any way that uh, companies from other states, a subcorp or something, can kind of slip in that are actually owned by Chinese or Chinese have interests that could slip back in and get property in the state? Is there any kind of a, a roadblock for something like that to happen? Sure. No, that's a, that's a great question, and, and I'll start kind of first with the with the partnership with the state legislature. And you know, I, I do think there's, I think it is a great partnership. And you know, I'm, I serve in the, in the Marine Corps Reserve. We got several folks that uh, that have served in the military, have family members in the military. They understand you know what's going on on the global perspective and uh, dealing with adversarial countries like China. And so they've been they've been very supportive and very easy to work with. Great partners to, to move forward. The Attorney General as well. Uh, but to your point, are, are there loopholes? I, I think that there are, unfortunately. Uh, we've seen, uh, as this debate has played out really across the country, you know, they had a, had a recent hearing uh, at the U.S. level with, with Senator Bozeman uh, talking about ownership. Uh, and, and, you know, the biggest point of that, of that conversation, that Senate Ag Committee hearing, was like there are, there are too many loopholes where too many countries who are adversarial to the United States can get around uh, the laws in the United States. And that's, that's part of, of why the state of Arkansas took the action it did with Act 636 is to, to tighten that as much as we could on the state level. Uh, but there are, there are significant gaps. And to your point, you know, could, could a, a Chinese corporation, uh, you know, play a shell game and, and find, find someone who could help, you know, you know, get themselves around these requirements that there is. Uh, and that's why we're working so hard, you know, to look into these matters as, as quick as we can uh, with, with, with our partners to, to stop it as, as best as we can. Was a couple of months ago we had Congressman French Hill in uh, from District 2, and we talked about this particular topic, and he said this was not so much a Washington uh, thing that had to be dealt with. It was a local state initiative that had to be uh, done by the legislature. Does, does the legislature understand how important a part they play in this? I, I think so. I think in Arkansas they do, and I, I think that's why there was overwhelming support for Act 636. And, and even during the legislative session, there was a, a very similar bill that would have done uh, similar action uh, on, on dealing with foreign ownership. Uh, and then ultimately, this is the one that everybody kind of coalesced around, uh, and it was over overwhelming support. I think maybe there was one person who voted against it in the entire Arkansas legislature, and so overwhelming support, realizing that hey, if if the federal government's not going to do something. We are in Arkansas, and, and we're not going to let this sort of behavior stand. Right, just for my listeners' sake, explain to them how big agriculture is in the state of Arkansas. Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. And certainly something that uh, is incredibly important to, to myself and so many others. But, you know, agriculture in Arkansas is our state's largest industry. Uh, just about a $21 billion economic impact. I mean, really, if you, if you drive down the road in, anywhere in Arkansas, just look out your window and you see agriculture. And that, that ranges from our forestry production to our, our livestock, our poultry, our row crops, our rice, soybeans, cotton, aquaculture, specialty crops. Arkansas is incredibly blessed with the, with the diversity of agriculture. It's our state's largest industry, incredibly important. Uh, to so many individual lives, and, and we've got to make sure that we're we're doing right by by our producers, the people who who provide the uh, the the food, the clothing, the shelter, the fuel that we depend on every single day, and we can't let that fall into adversarial hands. With this move, does it in any way worry you with as much rice as we grow and as much rice as the Chinese government buys that this could be detrimental to those deals? 
Uh, you know, I, I think that I think it will be interesting to, to watch how how China uh, responds to this. You know, we, we have seen in the past. You know, I'll, I'll go back ten years ago where where China was trying to steal Arkansas rice varieties and rice rice seed. Uh, so we so we know that they've got an interest in stealing as much intellectual property as they can from our mm-hmm. ag industry already. Uh, so uh, this this basically sends that signal that uh, we're, we're not going to allow them to do that. And those those individuals, some of them have been caught and prosecuted. We we suspect there's been more that have not been. Uh, but it's broader than that. It's it's poultry. It's uh, broad soybeans. It's a broad range of of agricultural commodities that are impacted. Uh, and then we suspect that the, the China is not going to be very happy about about the decision. And uh, and that's okay because we're we're going to. Uh, we're going to look to the long term, and we're going to make sure that we're protecting ourselves as opposed to a, a short-term game that's, that's, you know, at the end of the uh, – in the long term beneficial for China. We're going to make sure we're, we're protecting our state and our producers and our industry. Wes, this uh, – of course, Arkansas being the first state to do this, uh, we – our state is actually in the governor and legislature has basically fired a shot across the bow of China. So uh, – I, I'm like you. I expect China to respond to, to that before other states take this type of action. Do you anticipate they're going to see, sit back and wait and see the reaction to this before they start uh, jumping on board and saying, "Hey, we're going to we're going to follow Arkansas's lead"? You know, that's that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I do think that there's already. Uh, interest after even after the governor's announcement yesterday. There's uh, quite a few. Uh, folks across across several different states are saying we need to do this, and you know whether it's uh, Oklahoma or whatever the state may be, like we need a similar approach and similar action in their in their states. We've been, I, I mentioned Oklahoma; we got great relationships with Oklahoma. That's not trying to sing, single them out, but I, I do think that there's a lot of people that that uh, across the country are looking at this that we need to do something similar. Uh, so it it will be interesting to see how quickly some of that response is. But I, I think really across the country. Uh, individual states will probably move fairly quickly. Let me let me ask: Has North Dakota called you yet? Because I mean, they 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 started uh, addressing this problem because the Chinese were buying land right next to Grand Forks Air Force Base. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I have not had a direct conversation with North Dakota. We work with their their Department of Agriculture quite a bit, and we and we've talked about this topic the foreign ownership and several occasions, uh, not, not since yesterday, but, uh, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's certainly the agricultural aspect, uh, but oftentimes it's, it's dual purpose. It's, you know, there's, there's a, an airport close by, there's data that they're trying to steal. It's you know, close to a military installation. Uh, it, it isn't as simple. You know, a lot of people might look at this and say, well, it's just agriculture. It's fine. It's not a big deal. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it is a big deal. That's what feeds our country, first of all. But it's not just that. They're using it for other purposes as well. Yeah, people need to understand China would love to be the breadbasket of the world, not the United States. That's right. And they, and they have made it very clear that they want to displace the United States. They don't like us. They want, they want to take all of our intellectual property. They want to take uh, all the good things that we do, steal it, use it for themselves, and displace the United States and, and lessen our impact, lessen our, uh, our approach, our, our democracy, our, our rule of law uh, as much as they can, no doubt about it. With that, we'll let you go. I appreciate you giving us this time this morning and uh, putting their money down. We'll mm-hmm. be there at 7 uh, to talk to them about putting their money down. Yeah. Uh, for running for office, so that uh, that would go on on the next on the Davos. The only reason I'm a little hesitant about doing it 
is because I can't take the stream with me. And I think people are really excited about that we've got the stream now. Yeah, the, and the, the stream's gone. What's cool about it is that if you can't listen on the radio... But you, you can watch wait. it on on Facebook. You, well, and you can watch it later. Yeah. You can watch it a week from now. And you can see it all the time on on Facebook because I, right after we get done, I don't know, we since we stream it live on Facebook, does it just become a part of Facebook from that point on then, uh, Aaron? Yeah, the video, uh, the stream itself or whatever the stream caught during the live stays on the Facebook page from now until whatever. Impropertuity. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> well, what you can do is, if it's a topic I was that you want to listen to, but you couldn't get to it today, and you may not be able to get to have time till Saturday, you can go back to the Facebook page and you can watch the show and on when Saturday. It, and when it comes down that we've got like Greg Case on and Bruce Kazort, and we've got Joey McCutcheon coming yeah. on in just a moment, and you want to share those things, feel free to share away. Yeah. I want you to share this. I want everybody in Arkansas want to know what's been said on the Dave Ellswick show on a daily basis. Yeah, and you can also kind of pick your topics. Like if we're doing a show and you go, okay, well, that one, but this topic they did at the 9 o'clock hour release, you just – I want to watch that first. Yeah. And you can do it that that way. Yeah, Yeah, you can do that. Hey, you've got – we've got a a friend of the show on with us. Uh, Bring us up to date on that, Jimmy. Joey McCutcheon, of course, uh, who is the the – top FOIA litigator in the state of Arkansas. He has uh, litigated cases, uh, for you, more FOIA cases than anybody, I believe, and certainly more in the Supreme Court than anybody in uh, just a FOIA warrior uh, on the deal. And if people will remember, there was a big fiasco in West Memphis with the school district uh, a while back in the early spring where they fired their superintendent without cause and gave him a check for $353,000. And and so Joey and I were had dug into that a little bit. But since then, Joey, there's a group in West Memphis, Grassroots 72301. It's a watchdog organization over government. They're, they're used for you. And they had partnered with Joey and his in uh, his associate Stephen Napparano on some shenanigans uh, in West Memphis, and they discovered something on some illegal meetings that's really interesting. So, Joey, Joey, why don't you tell the story how it started and where we're at now? Yeah, Jimmy, good to be on. Thank you, Dave. No problem, brother. I tell you, it's uh, it's it's hard to start where we are now without talking about the context because. You know, when a when a when a school board, at least a few members, because we had one one or two courageous school board members who saw what was going on and really really stood up and and said, "Hey, this this just isn't right." But when they are so cavalier that they'll pay a uh, fire a superintendent without some board members even knowing uh, the reason why they were firing and paying north of $353,000, and according to the uh, school board minutes, he was able to maintain ownership of his district-provided school vehicle (laughs) and also receive payment for his benefits. They boot him out the door, and they'd obviously talked about it because they knew who they were appointing. They appointed Willie Rhodes as interim superintendent within a day, uh, and then they, so at that point, 
when we hear this, we're like, you know, this is wrong. Uh, we looked into FOIA violations, and and although the process was was obviously way off base, uh, didn't think we saw anything in terms of a FOIA violation. But you know, conduct rewarded, conduct repeated. So they came back to the government trough and um, decided that uh, without giving any notice to the media or the public, that they would interview four candidates for the position. Uh, and there ends your your violation. The the public and you know two courageous uh, um, transparency warriors, uh, Cheryl Rowe and uh, Tammy Bell, uh, decided that they uh, wanted to file a lawsuit for that violation. And one of the school board members um, also um, contacted the Arkansas school board. Uh, association and the, their lawyer Lucas Harder and said and that was by the way the school board member is Dr. Kimberly Wolf who was concerned about the process the lack of transparency and uh, you know the school board said yeah that's a violation you've got to give notice and the public's entitled to attend the public portions of that meeting so uh, that's kind of the the basis for our lawsuit uh, Dave and Jimmy, and uh, well, and it's it's really interesting because they have just from all from all accounts from all reporting the work I've done down there. There's a group of basically four school board members who have just gone rogue for a period of time, and like you say, they just they just kept going back to the trough, and this is where uh, grassroots seven two three zero one founding members uh, Cheryl Rowe and Tammy Bell. Uh, this is where their watchdog, uh, their group being a watchdog, really paid off because this is this is government funds. This is taxpayer funds we're talking about. And when they did these, did they actually did two of these meetings, right, Joey? Wasn't it two days in a row that they just brazenly did this? Yeah, yeah, two two days in a row, May twenty four and May twenty five. They, uh, you know, set these things up in advance and and just did not give notice uh, to the public. In, in, in fact, I think one of the school board members, one of the other school board members like, you know, I've never seen it done this way. Uh, are we sure that we're not supposed to give notice? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just appears that, that the whole, that the school board was hijacked by several members who were going to do things uh, the way they wanted to do them. And we've heard other stories off the record that, that you're just shaking your head at can this really happen in Arkansas? I mean, that, that we just do not obey rules. We teach our students that, you know, that rules are important. And then you've got school board members leading the district who are just, uh, just violating rules. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not just that they didn't give notice or hold it in public. Now they could interview candidates if they wanted to go in an executive session, and if I'm wrong, you stop me and tell me, but they still have to give notice. Uh, notice. They still have to open the meeting in public, and then they have to adjourn the meeting in public and record the meeting. Is that correct? That's correct, all of, all of those things. Um, and uh, you They know, didn't, they didn't do any of that, though, did they? No, 
No, not to my knowledge, they they did none of that. You know, so yeah, this is just kind of a brazen attempt at just saying, hey, because they really can't can't claim they know the law. This is what I want you to talk about, Joey, because when when people try to claim they don't know the law and it was ignorance. I don't buy that because you have attorneys. At the time that this happened, Beckett, Billingsley, and Keys, the the attorney firm that represents uh, uh, most school districts in the state, represented them. I watched the meeting with uh, when they fired Atwill. They have representation to advise them. They they have the Arkansas School Board Association's own attorney saying you can't do this. Uh, so the argument of well we didn't know any better just doesn't hold water, does it? Yeah, they did. It does not. I mean, they're, you know, I think they knew what they were doing, and I think that they were brazen enough that they were going to do it, and until somebody stopped them, and um, and whether whether that was a school board member, again, school, a couple of courageous school board members who 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 stood up and have said this isn't right, and we're not going to put up with this, uh, and then of, of course. Uh, Tammy and Cheryl, uh, but they had legal representation. I mean, you know, they have they have the Arkansas School Board Association that we saw that Dr. Wolf had contacted after the fact to, to ask the question, uh, you know, didn't this violate FOIA? Uh, they've got, as you say, uh, I'm not sure whether Beckett and Keyes uh, – were represent, but they had they had lo- a local lawyer. They still have a local lawyer. We're trying to get service now, and I've asked the uh, local lawyer, uh, you know, to to uh, accept service for the for the district. So yes, they they to claim that they don't have knowledge uh, is is just just false and this is one reason why i think in our new constitutional amendment that we should have training a a small amount of mandatory training maybe an hour annually where school board members and other governing bodies should go through a training course they should actually they should do it voluntarily where they can't later claim well we didn't know uh in my opinion the standard should be whether they reasonably should have known and if you're going to serve on a governing body, then, you know, you should know our sunshine laws, at least the basics, and feel confident that you can uh, contact uh, your district's lawyer, who are paid handsomely to to uh, uh, educate, you know, and 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 about uh, what's going on in the district. And certainly the, the uh, you know, the superintendent should, should know the law, no doubt. Well, with what you're saying, it goes along with what I've been saying for a long time, and you all have addressed it with the verbiage that I'm seeing for this amendment that you're hoping to have on the uh, uh, ballot in November of 24, and that is there's going to be some teeth in the uh, uh, the law now. And, and it's not going to be, oh, somebody made a mistake. It's not going to be that kind of thing. But if if you willingly and know that you are denying people FOIA rights, uh, you're going to pay for it. That's right, and you're going to pay for it personally and not government funds. That's good. Uh, yes, sir. For years, I've, I've, you know, I've tried these FOIA cases, and, and I haven't accepted an attorney fee. 
uh, until recently because, but but that's really was the only teeth, you know, let them pay an attorney fee. But the, the problem with that is, is that the attorney fee was coming from our taxpayers. Yeah, taxpayers. To me, that's just not right. That was not right. So I'm really pleased. I think the, uh, the committee uh, on this constitutional um, uh, amendment has done an outstanding job. I think they're listening to the public. And uh, I'm, I'm really, I think we'll come out of this as one of the strongest FOIA laws in the country enshrined in our Constitution. And I'm uh, assuming that, that they stay true to course and, and continue along the path they're going. I think we're, we've got a really strong amendment, both in terms of records and meetings and adding teeth. All right, you wanted to figure, uh, finish up with Joey. Yeah, you go Joey, right I want to... Uh, I want to do a couple of things. I want you to talk about uh, that. Uh, talking to the drafting committee, uh, you have talked to them. I've talked to them. Uh, a lot of people getting input on a adding training to it. But then I want to talk about uh, also the event that you have planned on the twenty fourth in Fort Smith. So start with the with the uh, the input on adding training to this amendment. Yeah, Jimmy, and I, I think you mentioned something before I talk about training. Uh, you know, the Arkansas Transparency and Government groups across this state that you've been involved with uh, have been have been absolutely outstanding in terms of their participation. You know, we've got groups in in uh, Bella Vista, Harrison, Fort Smith, Conway, uh, Russellville, and we're looking for more members. The Arkansas Transparency and Government go to their website, but yeah, training. Uh, I, I just think that that uh, you know if we're if we truly believe in the led 1967 legislative intent of FOIA that it's vital to a democratic society that public business be conducted in the public, uh, then you know an hour of training I think I think people would would appreciate that governing bodies would appreciate that be open to the public. Uh, and you know they would learn about our sunshine laws, which there's no more important laws. So uh, and have somebody knowledgeable about FOIA uh, do the do the training session, uh, you know, and discuss the constitutional amendment where where they can't say that they didn't know about uh, open meetings. You know, I've had really meaningful conversations with the drafting committee, particularly from my standpoint on open meetings. And uh, I think that they've come up with a really strong law where two or more of our governing body members cannot have discussions, deliberations, or make decisions outside of the public view. And uh, I think that's a, an appropriate law if we're really serious about FOIA. I think, and, and Dave has been a, talked about training for FOIA for gosh forever, and I think the public really wants that. And um, the only people that don't want that is government. But since all right, all right, we're going to well, wrap it takes, up, it takes away one of their biggest arguments. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, and that's part of the language that we were talking about in the amendment of, of, of saying what you should have reasonably known. And if we have that training, they can't get out of that. But uh, Joey, we've just got a couple of minutes, so I do want to get in the event that you have planned uh, on October twenty fourth at Fort Smith. I'm going to be there, but tell tell the folks about that. 
Yeah, we'll have a uh, town hall meeting where uh, public and and we're inviting uh, public officials and elected officials. We're going to invite the in Fort Smith. It'll be at the Fort Smith Public Library at 545 on Tuesday, October 24th. We hope that uh, Kenneth Wallace, who who is kind of a world renowned, at least Arkansas renowned, uh, live streamer we're hoping he's going to be there to live stream it where people out outside uh, of fort smith and our area can hear it also so uh we're excited you know to hear comments and because i think what's that that's what the uh committee wants they want public input and they've done a good job we've had a couple of meetings already uh in terms of just zoom type meetings but uh they would like to go ac- across the state and i think there's going to be a meeting uh, in Fayetteville on October uh, 26th, uh, after our meeting on the 24th in Fort Smith, and then uh, uh, October 30th in West Memphis. Yeah, and Tammy Bell and Cheryl Rowe with Grassroots 72301 are sponsoring that meeting. But when you said that we're going, you're going to have public officials there, just real quickly, I want to make sure that the people understand that you're inviting them, that they're not there to speak and, and campaign. They're there to listen to the input and listen to the people, correct? That's right. That's right. And, and um, you know, to because it's, we're hearing comments from, from the public and about what they uh, see in the amendment or additions that they would like to see. All right. Jimmy, thanks for joining or Joey. <laughs> Joey, thanks for joining us today and getting the information out and talking about this. It's really important. Uh, Governor Huckabee Sanders made a uh, statement during a presser yesterday, and I think it's well worth playing one more time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then after we hear what she said yesterday, I'm going to play what the attorney general had to mm-hmm. say uh, as well. It's important that you hear both of them. Let's start off with what the governor said. Genta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas. Syngenta owns 160 acres in northeast Arkansas, which it uses primarily for seed research. The company that owns Syngenta, Kim China, is also on the Department of Defense's list of Chinese military companies posing a clear threat to our state. Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers, especially since the Chinese government enacted a law in 2017 requiring Chinese citizens abroad to collaborate with their country's security officials on intelligence work with no questions asked. This isn't about where you're from. We welcome Chinese Americans, Russian Americans, and anyone else who's given up foreign oppression for American freedom. This is about where your loyalties lie. We simply cannot trust those who pledge allegiance to a hostile foreign power. That's why I signed Act 525, sponsored by Representative McKenzie and Senator Boyd, to ban Chinese and Russian-made drones. And it's why I signed Act 758, sponsored by Representative McAlendon and Senator Stubblefield, banning public contracts with the CCP. We will make sure that every company operating in Arkansas is a friend to Arkansas and good to hardworking Arkansans. Secretary Ward has already notified Syngenta about this decision, 
if they refuse to sell, our Attorney General can move forward with legal proceedings and force them to get out of our state. Arkansas will always protect our farmers and our national security interest. All right, so that was the governor yesterday. Then the Attorney General talked, and we're going to play his, his uh, part in this as well. Two big things in it. Seeds are technology. All right. They're working on, you know, drought resistance and pest resistance and all of that. Germination process. Yeah. You don't want to give you want to give all that information out to the the Chinese. And then she made sure everybody understands. And I've talked about this. uh, The uh, Communist Party of of China, CCP, Communist Chinese Communist Party, uh, requires businesses to report to them anything they want to know about yeah. what's going on in the countries that they're located and things of that nature. As long as that's going on, and I look, since they've started it, I would think that they'll never stop it, then you got to be very, very careful of letting anybody that is from China into this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the way it goes. Yeah. It's espionage at that point. So what did the uh, – Arkansas Attorney General have to say. Here's Tim Griffin right now. Provide a little context here. I could tell you that the idea that the Chinese government would care about non-military assets is exactly what they've demonstrated over the last few decades. In fact, we had congressional hearings in the late 90s in Washington on dual-use technologies, civilian related technologies that the Chinese were obtaining from the United States. There is nothing, there is nothing that's off limits for them if they think that it will uh, strengthen them strategically, whether it be related to uh, engineering or the ability to feed their people, which is a challenge for them. We've had some instances and some federal prosecutions in this state that relate to seed technology. And um, so for those of you who think that this is some sort of outlier, you're wrong. I've been in the military for almost 30 years, and I can tell you one of the consistent themes of the last decade at least has been warnings about the communist Chinese, what they will do and what they are doing. So this is smart. And this is strategic. So let me tell you what my role here uh, today is. I've written a letter, which I'll be sending today, to Northrop King, Seed, and Sagenta, informing them that they have to divest themselves of the land that they have in Craighead County. And they have two years, as of about a month ago, a little over a month ago, to do that. If they don't do that, then we can take uh, we can take at legal action. We have no reason to believe that they won't do that. Also, back in 21, 2021, uh, the legislature, with very very forward looking, I will say, for the legislature to pass a law uh, that requires these companies owned by foreign entities to file. And disclose. And in this particular case, the latest, the disclosure, the ownership of this land could have been filed 
was June of last year. It was late. And so under that law, also I appreciate this, the AG can fine a civil penalty, can fine the company a civil penalty up to 25% maximum, doesn't have to be 25%, but up to 25% of the value of the property. The property in this case is $1.12 million according to Syngenta's own federal filing. And so I am imposing the maximum fine of $280,000 on the company, Mm -hmm. and we will be, I am informing them of that in the letter as well. Thank you. Now, there you what is it I have, I keep saying on the air? You gotta have teeth. You gotta have teeth. And just then, the behind of that company started bleeding, and we'll go, we'll get that money. Well, and I I want to take a second to give Tim Griffin credit because uh, you know it's no secret I've, I've gone at him about FOIA and everything, but when. But when somebody does something good in the in the government is working, then let's celebrate that. And here's here's my statement: Tim has done more good than he's done wrong. All right, and, I really and, believe that. So I want to give him a lot of credit on this. The governor credit, the legislature, and Tim Griffin credit on this. It's it is such a bold step forward. And while there were people was that will say, well, you know, it won't happen for two years. Well, it wouldn't have happened at all if we haven't got this uh, passed through the legislature. Well, and, and this so, is the this is the way. Look at you know two years, but there's several months already paired off. That it's about a year and and a half is what it really is. And I mean, you can't just drop this on somebody because of a no. law that was passed a few months ago and say you got to pay all this money. No, you can't do it that way. That's that's how you get into court and you lose. Well, I think when you when you step back and look at the big picture and still focus on that, focus on this, that that since this went into law, it prohibits the ownership. So it's not just saying, hey, we're, you've got to dissolve because it's against law for you to have ownership. Okay, big pictures were saying, hey, nobody else can come in and do this. So it's a preventative. The law is actually preventative in nature that's saying, hey, you know, Chinese companies, you can't come in if you're not going to be able to purchase land. So don't just focus on, on this this part. Focus on that it is basically saying it's against the law to do this so no other companies are going to be able to do this going forward and, and purchase those properties. That's the big takeaway from this, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's something to keep uh keep in mind and uh, like i said earlier in the show today and i'll repeat right now this is a, a big feather in the cap of the governor of dag in arkansas in general because we are the first state to ever have done what is being done here with this company. Yeah, and I think it's a feather in their cap, and, it's, and it shows that a good collaborative work, right, that the, the the governor and her administration, the AG's office, and his staff and the legislature working together to get this done. And so, so like I say, we complain about a lot of stuff, but when we see something good, we need to say it. This is good. This is good for the state. This is good for the nation. This is good for the nation. Arkansas is leading the way. Now, 
we've got to work on those loopholes, all right, which from according to West, the Secretary of Agriculture, according to him, you know, that's out of their control. So, yeah, it so, is. There's yeah. some things that have to be done on a federal level, but we need to do everything we can do on a state level to help the federal level. And I think uh, when we talked to him, we also talked about how he, you know, how is China going to respond to this on, like you said, rice products and things that we export to them? And so we're waiting to see that. But I also think it's a deal where, you, hey, you got to stand strong. you got to stand strong on this uh, because they are literally – China is literally mining our country. They are literally mining Arkansas on its farmland. It's not just properties and stuff. And, you know, we can, you know, we go back to the, uh, the crypto mining. We go back to other businesses that operate within the state. So it's not just mining our country. They're literally mining our state and literally mining the rest of the country. And, you know, to stop that, there may be a little pain. There may be a little pain to us, but it's pain we're going to have to absorb. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. A lot of times, to move forward, there is a little bit of pushback that yeah. can be painful. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right on as far as that goes. All right, we got to get our final break in. Let's do that, then we'll come back and finish it up on a Wednesday with uh, Jimmy Cavan here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. So you're all up to date on what uh, went down with the governor yesterday and with the attorney general. You heard both of what they had to say uh, dealing with this whole thing about Chinese companies in the state uh, of Arkansas. We are the first state to put that into effect. You also heard a whole lot today about uh, the LEARNS Act and uh, Bruce Cozart, State Representative Bruce Cozart, who is working diligently on the funding mechanism Mm -hmm. for uh, the schools in Arkansas. He kind of gave us a, a little taste of what he's thinking and what they're working on. But he told me, and uh, I'll tell you what he told me, and and that was that uh, it'll be right after the beginning of the year before he has solid things to present. And so I told him to enjoy his holidays mm-hmm. at the end of the year and that we would see him after the beginning. He says, I'll be more than happy to come here and, and sit down and, and flesh it all out for you. Uh, Greg Kaza will join us now more often on the Dave Ellswick Show it was good to have Greg back in the studio. Uh, haven't had him on since the early 2000s when he and I were working uh, together with a group of other people trying to get rid of the food tax. And uh, we'll talk to him about how we continue to expand the economy here in Arkansas using uh, tax cuts, using uh, uh, the ability of more and more people to have more and more of their own hard-earned money to spend in this economy that we have here in Arkansas. And uh, the uh, superintendent of agriculture, from now on, when we have big agriculture stories come out, I'm sure we give him a call. Mr. Ward will be happy to come on and and talk and give us some insight into what they're thinking. Yeah, I I thought the whole lineup today was great. Uh, Greg, uh, if you guys uh, are just now tuning in, go to Facebook Live and list him because uh, Greg is like a human computer. Yeah, you go. I mean, if you're going to go there, uh, tune in around the uh, nine fifteen through nine ten o'clock. Segment. I mean, it, 
you know how you go to your computer and you type in Google this? Yeah. All right, well, he's sitting here. You just look at Greg and go, Greg, this. And boom, numbers start coming yes, out. Yes, he, he can recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, I mean, very well. It, it, uh, he does a great job. One thing I was real impressed with with Representative Cozart is what he said is when he gets this together, it's not just taking it to the legislature and the governor to get their support. He's going to do town hall meetings to present – uh, his proposal on funding for schools, state funding for schools. So that's a big thing to me, uh, to get that public input. So that was refreshing and nice to hear, right? Yeah. The uh, president today, as you know, was in Israel. Uh, short, short trip. Uh, he was meeting with the Israelis. And then after the bombing of the hospital by Islamic Jihad, uh, Abdullah II over in Jordan, uh, the the uh, president of Egypt and, and uh, Abbas uh, dealing with PLO, but West Bank now. Mm-hmm. Uh, bottom line are all not meeting with the president now, so that part of his trip was for naught, but made the statement, and I'll quote him, freedom will win. The terrorists will not win mm-hmm. uh, in the Middle East. Now, I did see a, a story that said that uh, – the administration, uh, Biden, uh, had took, uh, told uh, uh, the uh, uh, IDF that they had to give out the humanitarian aid, and that's and that's what uh, the president said. Now, little little bit of a chill here, okay? I'll be honest. This just gave me a little chill because he said he told uh, Netanyahu that because uh, Netanyahu asked and so the IDF about uh, you bring in this humanitarian aid they don't want it to go to Hamas they want it to go, to the, to, go. The, to the people and the president uh, told them Blinken also told them that the United States would make sure it didn't get into the hands of yeah. Hamas now with that said let me just say that's a dangerous statement you have just set up uh, the people over there to expect, because how do you do that? Yeah, it's it, it, you're not going to be controlling IDF troops. Is that why they're bringing in those two thousand troops? I we talked about it during the break. You put at one boots point. on the ground. Yeah. I I smell Somalia yeah, all over that's again. That's it. We talked about it in break for you folks that are young and you don't remember Somalia. Look it up. Watch just watch the movie. It's pretty close yeah. to be reality. Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Then you'll understand uh, what we're talking about. I I'd suggest that you read the book. The book is a little bit more in depth, and you can understand some of the geopolitical things that were going on. If anybody thinks that that humanitarian relief is going to go to the Palestinian people and not Hamas, we got let me just say land. you're yeah. Let me just say you're a fool. No. You're a fool. And for Blinken to say, when what was his argument? When You're going to love that when he said when they when they asked him about the money, and uh, the if the Iranians got a hold of the money, they said they're going to spend it on whatever they wanted to. What was the United States going? He says, "We'll tell them they can't." Yeah. We'll tell I want you to can. think about that. We'll just tell them they can't, as though the Iranians yeah. are going to say, "Ooh." It's like, you know, like that ain't going to happen. Like when Obama got up and dressed the country, and he told me, he said, "Well, I told Putin, Putin to knock it off." Oh, in Syria, yeah. and, and the, he drew. Remember, they drew the red line yeah. in there, and 
Putin just stepped right over yeah. it and said, "Okay, now let's what? not forget we're we're where we're at right now because Joe Biden gave the Iranians six billion dollars back. Yeah. Well, he unfroze those oil revenues. Let me ask you this: What's that term that you use about big dog mouth with a puppy dog? Yeah, you got a bulldog mouth and a puppy dog butt. That's that's the truth. That's the truth. Because <laughs> let me just tell you. With the with the mistakes that we made in Afghanistan and other mistakes that we have made, uh, I I believe prosecuting the war of terror in the Middle East. Uh, I don't know who's scared of us anymore, and that that goes a long way in them doing what we want them to do. Well, they're they're not scared of the leadership that we have right now they're well, not leadership controls the leash of yeah. the dog I, I i'll say it again I said before whether you like trump whether you don't like him love him or hate him we wouldn't be in these situations right now in the ukraine and israel and all of this yeah stuff. because if he said back off you knew he meant back yeah. off because you know just like reagan he'd send a couple of cruise missiles yeah. Into your palace like he did Gaddafi. Yeah, he's not going to look back in the back and say, don't make me pull over. He's yeah. just going to pull over. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Jimmy, it's always a pleasure yeah, to have you on. Great show. we got uh, another one. What, 